Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another edition of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey, Andrew. You can see the wave. We're back on Zoom midweek, previewing Vikings Titans week. After the debacle in Indianapolis, the Vikings are 0-2. Um, we asked on the last podcast, is it time to panic if things went wrong in Indianapolis? And I think it is. I really think it is. So welcome to the Panic Podcast. Ben, I want you to just kind of set the stage for me here. If they go 0-3, because they're 0-2, obviously. Everybody knows the stats of playoff teams. You've got the extra playoff seed this year. But just with how that 0-2 start has looked and then kind of the stats for what it looks like for an 0-3 start with the Titans coming into town, what's at stake on Sunday, do you think, when it comes to facing the Titans? Uh, Andrew, it's kind of a must win. It, must win. Their chance, if they go 0-3, their chances of making the playoffs are, are really low. It, they're not probably going to make the playoffs and start 0-3. That's must what I've, win. That's what must I've come win. up with. Okay. No, they – the. I looked at this today since 1990, and this, again, is we should put in the caveat that there's an extra playoff team this year. So the threshold it normally takes to make the playoffs may be a little lower. But since 1990, when they went to six playoff teams, there have only been four teams that have made the playoffs. The Texans did it in 2018. No team had done it since then. Uh, but since 2018, the last team to do it was the 1998 Buffalo Bills, probably with Doug Flutie, I think. Uh, there had only been four other teams that even went nine and seven, which I would assume is – I was kind of using that as a working assumption for what it would take to get in as a third wild card as a seventh team. But, you know, if you lose on Sunday, you got to finish nine and four to do that. And it's a conference full of 2-0 and o teams right now. It's not like everybody's 1-1. One one. There's a lot of 2-0 and o so if you lose on Sunday, you're potentially staring up at as many as two teams in your division if, if both the Packers and Bears win on Sunday and a number of other teams are on the NFC. So, um, yeah, it's not good would be my summation. It's pretty it's bad. Not, it's not good. And, and that's about the most optimistic viewpoint that you can have if you're the Vikings or a Vikings fan and thinking, okay, what do we have to do to uh, turn this around? Obviously, it starts with a win on Sunday against the Titans. We'll get into – how hard that's going to be against Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill is playing a lot better than the last time the Vikings saw him. Um, but Mike, should we even be talking about the playoffs after what we've just seen in two games? I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? You, a lot of the, you know, we, we know all the stats. I think Ben did a good job of outlining just, you know, I have more by the way. It's very, I'm sure you do save some of them for Sunday, but I'm sure, you know, the, the stats are, they kind of cut, they kind of cut you in two different ways, right? It's, it becomes statistically harder to make the playoffs when you have that much ground to make up. But also when you're 0 and 2, 0 and 3, it probably means you're not a very good team. But, you know, sometimes a team starts, you know, with a couple of losses and, you know, it, not all 0 and 2 starts are created equal, right? There's sometimes you might lose two close games to good teams, um, you know, a, a break here, a break there. This is, not, this is not what we're talking about with this team. So, just the, beyond the mere fact that they're 0 and 2 is the way that they have gone 0-2. And, you know, even if, you know, if they had lost in, you know, 20-17 to type game or, you know, turnover, weird bounce, 
you might say, okay, let, let, you know, you can see them, you can see some wins on their schedule down the road. You can see this getting better. When they play this bad, it, it's hard to even look at their schedule and find a win, let alone think about how they could turn this around to make the playoffs. So, it, you know, the, they're, they're, they're getting hit both ways. They're, they're, they're a bad team and they have a bad record. And sometimes this early, you might still be a good team with a bad record. That is not what we're talking about here. Yeah, this Vikings team – oh, go ahead, Ben. I said I got another number to drop on you here. Please do. Um, I won't save this one for Sunday because it's too good. Um, three – only one time in Vikings history had they started 0-2 and been beaten by more combined points than they have in these first two games. That was in 2005. Now, they finished 9-7 and seven that year. Mike Tice got fired at the end of that season. Some of that was uh, off-the-field activities, uh, ships. Uh, ships that sailed. Ships, ships set sail, and, and things didn't go well on those voyages <laughs> uh, that season. The other one that has been this bad was 2001. They were uh, outscored by 18 points in those first two games, and that was Denny Green's last year as well. So – uh, not saying this ends up as the final voyage for the SS Zimmer, but uh, the last two coaches, the last two captains to traverse, to traverse these waters have not come home with good stories to tell. And that ends my sailing metaphor for this podcast. I like it. I like it. We've, yeah, we've got to see yet how this season certainly plays out and what kind of patience they're afforded. Um, in a pandemic season from their ownership that just gave them contract extensions. But it's amazing we're at this point where this team looks this bad. Um, Mike Zimmer didn't say it to us on local media, but he was actually um, talking to the Titans media. And I saw a quote from him there where he had said, I misjudged our team a little bit defensively and kind of what they were capable of and what, what he thought they were going to be good at. And so I wonder how different things are going to look. And then we should also mention that the Vikings are going to have to do this without Anthony Barr um, who I think is Vikings Twitter's favorite punching bag uh, on the, on defense, at least he seems to be. Um, but the Vikings feel like they're going to be missing quite a bit without him. And then his backup, at least in the base package, Troy Dye, the fourth round rookie did not practice Wednesday. So they've got an injury riddle defense because Cameron Dantzler, the rookie corner is still out with a rib injury. And then Mike Hughes is out with an injury that we're going to find out about here later this afternoon. And so they might be down a couple corners. They might be down a couple linebackers. And Derrick Henry, the reigning NFL rushing champion, comes into town. So how does that sound, Ben? Not good. I mean, the, the last time we saw them start this badly was, was 2013. They, they lost the first two. Um, both of those were closer. They, they blew a lead in Chicago in week two in a game that we've probably talked about on this podcast over the years. And then lost to the Browns, who had traded away Trent Richardson like a half hour after he was on a conference call with us in the middle of that week, the Browns basically gave up on their season and still beat the Vikings that Sunday. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking, the, the comparisons we're bringing up here are pretty dire. And when you're talking about the guys missing on defense that they're already missing, you know, Mike Hughes now possibly being out Cameron Dantzler. I mean, your, your quarterback depth is awfully thin and you're going to face better quarterbacks than this, but Missing Anthony Barr, already missing Michael Pierce, missing Daniel Hunter at least for another week. It's it doesn't set up well. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Probably not a great sign that Ben, before you joined the call, Andrew and I spent like a good two minutes of semi-serious talk, kind of 
wondering, is this team tanking? And we, we came to the conclusion, no, uh, because it's too early for that, and it would be. I also don't think they have it in them. Yeah, right, right. Which, which, but the mere fact that we were having that conversation wasn't a flattering. Uh, it wasn't flattering to the fact that <laughs> they've looked as bad as a team that is purposely losing so far. Yeah, it, it's probably worse to say we're not tanking, and it has the appearance of tanking. I mean that that just means you're not good, and I. On that question, I don't think they are because, A, they sold it as getting over the hump. I mean, we heard that all offseason, and we heard this idea that they can rebuild the defense on the fly and they still expect to be competitive. The moves they've made certainly don't tend to lean that way. And we've heard Mike Zimmer say before, even talking about preseason games, that anytime they're keeping score, I plan to go out there and try to win. I, I just don't think it's in his DNA, certainly at this stage of his career, I don't think it's Rick Spielman's DNA at this stage of his career to try to tear this thing down in the studs and rebuild it. It just, it doesn't feel like that's what's going on here. Nope. So they're going to keep trying to win, find that first win. And I think we'll get to our mailbag questions here um, in about 10 minutes or so, or five minutes, I guess. But one of them is about um, when they're going to get their first win. And that's a curious conversation because I'm not sure if it's going to be Sunday. I'm not sure if it's going to be against Ryan Tannehill and the Titans. The last time the Vikings faced Ryan Tannehill, he was with the Miami Dolphins. I believe he was coming off a second or third knee injury, however many it was. And he was sacked nine times in that game. The Vikings just destroyed him at U.S. Bank Stadium. I think it was in December of 2018. Kevin Stefanski debut, I believe, as the OC. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, And they were able to really – the defense just got after him. The offense obviously jumped out to a big lead forced Tannehill to try to throw, throw, throw. And now we heard Tajay Sharp, former Tennessee Titans, sign with the Vikings in free agency. We heard him talk about the similarities in the offenses that um, Mike Vrabel's kind of overseeing when LaFleur was in Tennessee. I believe they started together in 2018 with the Titans. Is that right? I think LaFleur was Yes, LaFleur was the offensive coordinator. And so the Titans still run a similar style offense. The under center, run dominant, um, throw off play action, get the quarterback into a rhythm, all the things that the Vikings kind of want to see Kirk Cousins get back to and that they've kind of been shoved away from here. Um, I don't know, Ben. We're seeing seeing Ryan Tannehill kind of look like Kirk Cousins did at times last year when Kirk Cousins was winning NFC Player of the Month. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of set up in a similar fashion. It was even interesting to hear Mike Zimmer talk about Tannehill a little bit today. I I don't think he was trying to send a message to his quarterback by the way he talked about Tannehill, but it it crossed my mind because he talked a lot about how Tannehill is – he said he's – and this is – I'll just read his quote. He said, I think the biggest thing with Tannehill right now is that he's playing with a lot of confidence. He's got a running game with him. I feel like he's seeing coverages and getting out – getting the ball out quick, understanding where to go with the football right away. He's been really good on the play actions, been extremely accurate, which we know is near and dear to the Vikings. He can also move in the pocket and scramble. The bootlegs, the play actions, the screens have been effective for him, and he's got good players. He goes on to talk about the receivers that they have. But a lot of the things that he's mentioning that they're doing well are things the Vikings want to be able to do well in their offense. So um, don't know that that was necessarily subtweeting Kirk. But uh, I, I have a feeling if his own quarterback was playing the way that he talked about Ryan Tannehill playing, he would not mind that right now. Well, and we've seen Kirk. We've seen Kirk play that well. He did yes, last we year. Have. And this wasn't a situation where I think the narrative right now, um, 
and, and some of it's rightfully so, but it might be overblown in my opinion anyway that, well, they don't have digs. So that's why Kirk's not looking comfortable. I mean, they didn't have Thielen for half the year last year and Kirk was winning NFC player of the month. And, and they were able with one great wide receiver to find ways to manage downfield. So um, to me, it's, it, to me, it just starts with the first downs. It starts with the running game. It starts with committing to, to Dalvin cook a lot more than they have. And I can't believe I'm saying that for a Mike Zimmer, Gary Kubiak coach team, but um, Dalvin's average like 15 touches. And I know that they have like the fewest offensive snaps in the league through two games. So that plays a part in it. But when you do the percentages, I think he's got a third of their touches so far on offense. Jonathan Taylor had almost half for the Colts last week. Um, you, you can commit if you really want to. And then that game wasn't totally out of hand until the second half. So um, I don't know. I, I think, I think the offensive stuff is fixable. The bigger questions are going to be, can Mike Zimmer fix this defense? Because I, I really don't know. Uh, uh, to the offensive question, do they, you know, we, we, I think we all assumed and, you know, for good reason that there would be a lot of continuity, um, even though they lost Kevin Stefanski this offseason you know, with, with what they do. And I'm, I'm assuming their philosophy is the same. But do they miss Stefanski more than we, we might have thought? Or is, is that not – is that – too too simple in, in the two game sample, or I, I'm just trying to figure out what is going on with with Cousins in this offense because I we had him I had him down for 17 yards total on their first 15 first down plays the other day, and it's just yeah. like that that's they're off schedule all the time, and you should be able to at least get something you want on first and ten. Yeah, the the play calling has been a little bit curious at times. I mean, I think we talked about it on Sunday a little bit in our postgame yeah. pod and Andrew and I certainly talked about it in the press box on Sunday at El Lucas Oil Stadium that the play calling on first and goal when or even that whole that whole set of downs when they got yeah. first and goal um, you know you, you go split backs and hand it off to CJ Hamlin first down and then try to go smash mouth with Dalvin Cook and play got blown up on second down and then your empty set Kirk could have tried to run it. I guess looking at that at the second time, it didn't look like there was that much room, but you, you basically set yourself up with that where you're trying to have Kirk go make a play. And uh, it was, there've been a few things like that where we've seen odd play calling you know, the, the deep shot and from your own end zone against the Packers that resulted in the safety. I mean, some of that stuff has, has seemed a little bit, discombobulated I it's hard to say in two games whether that is going to continue or that's just a, a blip on the radar and they're going to be better over the long haul I, I I guess I tend not to think that the offense has changed enough to attribute it to that but uh, I, I think it probably has more to do with just they're not executing a lot of the things that they built themselves on last year all right for those joining us on Facebook right now and start Thanks for, uh, for, for playing along here. It's a, a wild ride this Viking season. We're, uh, we're simulcasting the last 15, 20 minutes of the Access Vikings podcast. Got a bunch of good questions of yours to get to. I, I've got one teed up right off the bat, so if you don't mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. Because I, I, I love to set up Ben for salary cap questions because I, I, I love Ben when he talks about salary cap. I, honestly, it's one, of my favorite, it's one of my favorite things to hear Ben talk about. One from at Brown Mamba 88. I don't believe Kirk is the main problem, but he has limitations as a quarterback. Yes. And we see how poorly he performs with the subpar line. I've never talked about that. 
and when he and when his defense isn't great. Given the dead cap drops considerably in 2022 down to 10 million, would the Vikings consider drafting um, Fields or Trey Lance next year? Ben, here's where I think you need to clean up some misconceptions, right? Yeah. Well, yes. The the dead cap drops, but you have to make a decision on that after this year because what happens is. I mean, he did not get the fully guaranteed deal this time like he did last time, but he still was operating with a lot of leverage. And to, to Cousins' credit and to his agent Mike McCartney's credit, they used it in this deal. The Vikings have to make a decision after this year about Cousins or his 2022 base salary, which is $35 million, and the cap hit is, 30, is $45 million overall, I believe, when you throw in that signing bonus. That becomes guaranteed next year not before 2022 it becomes guaranteed before 2021 so effectively while they did not get it fully guaranteed at the time of signing they forced the vikings to do one of two things probably well one of three we'll call it but i don't think the third one's that realistic you either have to cut him or or trade him however you want to do it get him off your roster before 2021 you have to restructure his deal to something that gives him probably more guaranteed cash in, in more years in exchange for a, a restructured cap hit, or you say, fine, we're going to keep you at $45 million on our cap in 2022 and go with that. And I don't think Kirk would mind that because you're then operating off of that number when you try to do your next deal. So he has a lot of leverage because he's done these short deals and because he put himself in a position I mean, that, that franchise tag, he's talked about it. The franchise tag can be your friend, and, and we can debate whether he's worth it. But he, by not taking the long-term security that a lot of quarterbacks take in Minnesota and not having it offered to him in Washington, he has used that to his advantage. And that's why the Vikings basically have to make a decision on him after this year. Yeah, and correct me if, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but it's basically like people look at the, his deal and they saw three years, $61 million guaranteed at signing – but yeah. the whole thing has guarantees. It's just there's the trigger then before next year that then guarantees yes. the rest of it. Correct. Yes. Um, the, the whole thing basically as of um, – it's not all guaranteed at signing, but it either might as well be or pretty darn close to that because the, the trigger usually we, that we see with these things is the year of the deal. I mean, a lot of times we'll see the Vikings put things in where if you're on the roster the third day of the league year, then your salary for that year is guaranteed. This one, it's you got to go a year out, so that's where it's a little bit different than normal. Well, and and um, isn't it a situation too where I guess the Vikings' best financial out might be if, like, let's say, let's let's just say they do a complete about face, and to answer this guy's question about drafting somebody, their best financial out would be to somehow trade him and the base salary for next year, and then eat the twenty million in signing yes. bonus on the salary cap, right? Yeah, although the only problem you have there is I think all of that 20 then goes on to your 2021 cap, which is a problem because revenue is going to drop. The cap is probably going to drop. The Vikings then would be – I mean, it, you'd have them at a cheaper number, I guess, than you otherwise would. It, uh, I, I should rephrase it. If you do that, you have that problem, but you're probably doing that after drafting a guy that you were going to play presumably right away, if you 
say they end up picking number one and they take Lawrence or Fields, you probably are going to play that guy pretty quickly at a cheap number. So then your quarterback cost is still in the 20-something million dollar range, but still cheaper than it would have been with Cousins. So if you're the Vikings, you're hoping, hey, let's, let's hope. You know, you never want anybody to get injured, but you're hoping that maybe San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan still wants them. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, suppose that would be the obvious landing I spot. I don't know the Garoppolo situation in terms of contract or health, because right? I know he got hurt this past weekend. But anyway, it's just it, there, there, is, there does seem to be an out. It's just they would need to move him. Yeah, because yeah. to, to cut him would just be – pretty punitive for next year. I mean, talking, we're we're two games into a really bad season. We're eight months away from him winning a playoff game. So a lot of this is just idle chatter, but cutting him before the start of the 2021 league year would be a pretty big penalty, right? It'd be like a, there's still a lot of dead cap left on that. It is. And then you're not just paying the signing bonus. You're paying the base salary that you have already guaranteed for 2021. That part is already guaranteed. All you'd be saving is that 2022 guarantee. I I think in all likelihood, and we're entertaining this scenario, I I don't think they're going to be bad enough to be the the number one team in the draft, especially given how many 0-2 teams we've seen already. And I don't think they're going to blow it up that quickly. Now, a lot could change. And this could age very poorly what I'm saying right now, but I guess I'm more willing to take that risk than I am saying, yeah. Oh, here we go. This is cousins is gone after our two games into the season. I, I'm, I tend to be less likely to jump on that side of things and probably want to see it play out a little bit more. Well, speaking of all that kind of optimism, then Ed asks, when are the, will the Vikings, excuse me, win a game before the bye week Is this a taco bet? <laughs> be a good one because I mean look at it right this week Nander and I were talking about this a minute ago like it, most years you you can look at the schedule at least and there's like a even if it's not like a super soft opponent a home game means something like you, yeah it doesn't mean the same this year when when a you don't have that same atmosphere and b like you guys have written the it doesn't impact the opposing offense on third down because they're playing this kind of soft, uh, jazzy white noise at 60 decibels the whole game. Um, yeah. so, you know, if someone might get a, a headache, but they're not going to, they're not going to get impacted. So it's, it's not, you know, even, even you say, Oh yeah, the Titans, yeah, they're a good team. But you know, in a normal year, even an Owen two Vikings team, would be like, yeah, I could see them, you know, like getting a bunch of big third down stops, getting a few turnovers. You, you it's the, the manner in which you can win is a little different this year. So, I'm like 50-50 on when they're going to win, you know, on whether they're gonna, honestly, on whether they're going to win a game at least until when. I, a lot of this answer to me depends on, and it's hard because it's one player, but if you get Daniel Hunter back, I think that makes a difference. I don't think it makes all the difference because teams are just going to try to put a lot of attention on him, but then it, it opens up some more one-on-one matchups probably for Yannick Ngakwe, and that would help. I think they will win a game before the bye simply because I don't think they're going to be that bad in Tennessee. Yeah. If if this was a game where you had fans at us bank stadium, I think it makes a difference. I'm not convinced that Tennessee is unbeatable. I'm not convinced certainly that the Vikings are in a position to do that right now, but I, there's enough weird things that happen in the NFL. I think they will win one of those first six. Mid Atlanta. I could see 
if Houston has a bad day or something, they're, I don't think they're going to beat Seattle in their current iteration. No. But um, I don't think they're going to get hot and reel off a bunch of wins, but I, I don't think they're going to be on six. Yeah, and I, I can't believe I'm going to say this as somebody who really – before this, I didn't really think the fans impacted that much. Like, I, I thought, of course, the noise on third downs, you know, jumping off sides, that kind of stuff, that it can help. But I would say that if they were allowed a, a full crowd, that the Tennessee home game and the Falcons home game are much more winnable than how I view them in kind of yeah. this um, antiseptic environment where everything's just – it feels like you're watching a track meet indoors. You know, it doesn't really feel like – this kind of hostile crowd for an opposing quarterback to kind of get his sights set and feel comfortable. And maybe it's because I, I saw Aaron Rodgers look like he was as comfortable as he's ever been in week one. And I, I just think every quarterback's going to look that way. And Ryan Tannehill might not. You've also um, never been to a good indoor track meet. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. I, you're right. I've, I've been to like, yeah, I've been to U of M kind of covering stuff for a student newspaper. So very different. Yeah, the Northwest Open. It, it does sound a little bit like that. Those ones they have in January. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I just I, I think I think that I think Ryan Tannehill would have a much harder time coming in. And right now he's coming in having thrown six touchdowns in two games. He has not thrown a pick yet. He is comfortable. He's looking great. And even though Tennessee doesn't have AJ Brown right now um, at wide receiver, I still think this team looks comfortable and they look like they know how to put up points. And that's bad news for this Vikings defense. So I, and then the Falcons game. Yeah. I, I, w- I would have thought that one was more winnable, but now with the way Matt Ryan's playing and those three receivers they've got, I, I just think there's no guarantee that's a win either. So uh, Mike and I were talking before the podcast and I felt like Houston is their most winnable game right now. I could see that if, if unless Deshaun Watson has one of those days where they just have no answer. Yes, I think they're so poorly coached, though. I'm just not a Bill yes. O'Brien guy. Yeah. I, don't think any, I don't think anybody is. Um, so I, I think they're so poorly coached that, you know, somewhat empty crowd. I think they want to host 15,000 fans for that game, though. Yes. And I don't know if that has any effect. Although we did watch the Chiefs opener, right? And there were 15,000 yeah. fans there, and you could kind of hear them. Yeah, you could. I mean, I don't know. probably also fired up because they're putting up a championship banner for the first time in 50 years. But, it's true. And it's Arrowhead <laughs> Stadium, too. But, yeah. You could hear them that night, I thought. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's move on. Al's got a question. Do you expect Gary Kubiak's play calling to become more aggressive or conservative in efforts to get this uh, offense going? It's an interesting question considering we're like, talking about Kubiak. I like that question because, it, you know, I think the temptation would be to get more conservative to say we, we got to get back to our roots. We got to run the ball more on first down. But there's also – all sorts of data that suggests that running the ball on first down is not really a great idea. It kind of, you know, it does put you in second and long a lot of times and it's, it's kind of a, a stubborn old school approach. Maybe it has worked for the Vikings and so much of what they want to do in passing game is playing off their run game with, you know, play fakes, play action and, you know, things like that, things of that nature. Um, but honestly it it feels like expanding the the playbook is probably a better idea because I feel like they have been pretty conservative so far even if they've had a a decent run pass mix on first down I think they're better served probably getting more adventurous and creative in their pursuits of these rare first down opportunities I'm always torn on these things because there is what the conventional wisdom which I think largely at this point is based on what the data would say. Certainly I think all the three of us spend a fair amount of time looking at that. And then there's, I think what the Vikings believe is best for them. I don't know that those two things are the same. 
I, when we hear Mike Zimmer talk this week about we got to get back to our identity and winning games the way we've done it around here, I, I don't know how much of that is a message to his play caller or how much of that is said in private. Certainly Gary Kubiak is not a first-time play caller. Gary Kubiak has a lot of uh, skins on the wall, so to speak, pelts on the wall, um, more so as a head coach than Mike Zimmer does, frankly. So I think he probably has a little more leeway than, say, John DiFilippo did. Um, or Stefanski, for that matter, probably. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's probably <laughs> true. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see if that changes. And Gary has done this long enough that probably he can come to those conclusions on his own. But he also believes in his own system and, and the way they've done things. It, it, it was interesting to me this week, it, so far what we've heard, that there's been a lot of attempt to pin this on uh, just being more efficient. And certainly that needs to happen. Drop passes, penalties, turnovers, all of that kind of stuff needs to get cleaned up. But the, the, the line so far has been, if we just do those things better, everything's going to be fine and we're going to get back to winning games and we're not going to have the same problem. It's an easier theory. I get that. But if the reality is that we're just not good enough, um, that's a harder problem to solve. I don't think anybody's going to admit that at this point, but it has been interesting to hear that the sort of the party line, I guess has been, we need to do what we do. Just do it better. I, I can't remember more than seven, eight, maybe a dozen times in the past, though, where Zimmer has sent a message to his offensive coordinator through the media, I can't remember more than seven or eight, uh, maybe a thousand of those in, in the past. So certainly wasn't taking a veiled shot, I'm sure. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, he, and the fact that his offensive coordinator has won Super Bowls has not stopped him from doing that either. Is it, Turner, Common North. So it is. A, uh, Gary Kubiak won more. And, yeah. Than it is a fascinating dynamic, though, considering that the last time the Vikings had a veteran offensive coordinator like that, that well, I guess Pat Shermer probably counts. But Yeah, I would say so. The aggressive, conservative play-calling stuff, it just seemed like he was so touch-and-go in Indianapolis on Sunday. When you see a series like it was their second series, they're backed up to the goal line. This is before the safety. Yeah. And I think, they, I think they, if I remember correctly, they threw on first down, threw incomplete, and then threw a, a big pass down the middle to Irv Smith that got jarred loose. It's like a 20 yard pass down the middle. So that set up for like third and nine. So no, it would have been maybe a one yard run initially. And then he just takes a shot on second down and then third and nine, it's a shotgun, just draw from your own end zone. Just kind of like, well, we'll just see what happens. with Madison. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what do you, you took your best running back off on on the second series and then you put your backup and then you gave him the ball on a draw. That's really just kind of a give up play. It just, maybe you're that confident in your running game or just maybe you have zero confidence on your offensive line and its own goal line. But then the next series or the next series after that, when they're on their goal line, you get the safety because they're dropping back to pass. So it was just so touch and go and hit and miss and kind of seemed to miss a, a theme that would, for instance, make your quarterback comfortable. It's always interesting to, you know, we go back to, I mean, 2018 was the most public this ever got in terms of the play calling dispute. A lot of that season was the, – the dispute was rooted in different theories of how you deal with the fact you had a bad offensive line. I mean, that, that was a lot of – between Mike Zimmer and John DiFilippo, the issue is that they had different ideas of how to approach that. Mike Zimmer's was, well, we have to establish the run. We'll still wear people down. John DiFilippo was thinking, I don't have the people to run the ball this consistently, so we can't do it that way. And we have receivers. Let's get them the ball. 
I wonder at times if they're still getting to that same thought process. And, and we should also add here that Rick Dennison, in addition to being the offensive coordinator, has the title of a run game coordinator. And offensive line coaches in general have a much bigger hand in the game plan for the run game than a lot of us probably give credit for. So if that is into the mix at all, in terms of we just don't have the guards, we don't have the people to get this done, that may be contributing to some of the play calling as well as a belief that even if philosophically we want to run this stuff, we just don't think we can pull it off. Yep. All right. Well, let's get another question here. Mike, you got one? I've got more of a statement from Scott kind of taking over your chicken fingers. Uh, I said it before the Saints game about my fear of signing Kirk based on one game. The result of the Saints game encouraged so many to, to um, I think he's trying to, so many things to be run back. Yeah, yeah. It appears they did it one too many times. The same issues that existed before existed after, and they've simply gotten worse. Do you agree or disagree with that? Do you feel like they've they kind of are? Is this a run it back year, or does it just feel like that because they extended Cousins and the leadership? The team itself feels is different enough to me with kind of by necessity with all the defensive starters. But I, I'd be interested to hear if you guys think that that's what 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 they ultimately decided to do here was just kind of run it back yeah what do you think Ben? i think they're kind of a run it back team in general yeah i I, that i agree with yeah it has been let's do this same kind of thing let's just do it better um you know the last few years the the upshot when they have failed in the playoffs or or missed the playoffs or whatever it's been has been um we don't, we don't think we need to change. We just need to execute it better. So, yeah, I, I don't know that this year it, – it's hard. I, it, I, you can probably hear the tension in the way I'm looking at a lot of this because I'm not ready to write this thing off yet yeah. um, in the sense that – I mean, yes, they have injuries. I don't think they're going to be very good in, in the sense of making the playoffs or anything like that. I, it's hard to sit here and say, well, they, they made the wrong decisions based on two games because it, it's – just there's more variables to go with than that. But they, in general, have been very committed to their approach and very much of the belief that if we just sharpen this stuff up, it will get us to where we want to go. It's not Andy Reid where it's, well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go see about finding a quarterback and just throw out my entire – and he was always an offensive coach. but And there's still some of those same things. But a lot of it for him was I want to go learn – Patrick Mahomes offense and build around that. It, it's not that type of thing. It's we have a scheme that we want to play. We have a certain way we know that we want to do it. And we have to find people that match that. So um, I, it's, I don't think it's just specific to this year. I think that's kind of how they operate in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we've, I think we've kind of laid this out throughout all the off season podcasts and just talking about how they clearly believe in the pillars that got them to a certain point to 2017 yeah. NFC championship game to a playoff win last year. And while speaking out of one side of their mouths, whether it's Spielman or Zimmer saying, you know, we're always going to compete. The window's always open. Other side of the mouse always kind of been, well, evolution of the roster, you know, kind of admitting that, Hey, we've got a lot of changes going on here and that the expectations might need to be adjusted as such. Um, yeah, I, I don't think – I think they clearly want to run it back with that core, but they feel like add Nagakwe, uh, build around some new corner talent, um, 
they thought bringing in Ezra Cleveland. Now it's still very early, but maybe that's a building block at some point. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I think they're trying to do both things. And Ben, you've said this before. They're trying to have one foot on kind of both sides of the fence and try to kind of rebuild around a quarterback who's already 30, what is he, 31? 32. Um, 32. And then has also a couple, you know, is it one playoff win or two in his career? I'm not sure how many it is. One. But one. Yeah, the one. So it's just, it's, it's this, yeah, it is a running back team. I, I can't really say it any better than that. Let's get to one more question because you hit on Ezra Cleveland. I think it's interesting. For T. Lor, uh, his first comment was, "I've got nothing but concerns." Andrew, uh, when you asked about questions, <laughs> concerns, he's got nothing but concerns. But he said, "Actual question though, is there any hope in sight for this offensive line? It's been in need of fixing for so many years, and it just seems to get worse and worse instead of better." And I think if, if the criticism of their approach, at least in the kind of early to mid decade last decade was that they weren't investing in the offensive line I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore they've spent a decent amount of draft capital including at least the second round pick in each of the last three drafts right yes. and the third round pick in the one before that uh, which are no guarantees but so if, if you, I guess if you're looking for any hope it's probably that those players become mainstays we're talking about Brian O'Neill who already is I would argue Garrett Bradbury who's you know in year two after being a first-round pick at center. And then, of course, Ezra Cleveland, who can't find his way on the depth chart yet, but we're two games into a rookie season. It's like probably your, your hope in sight. But, again, there's the, the draft – your draft position does not guarantee your draft – your on-field success. So and I think the jury's very much out on two of those three guys and definitely on Elfline even before he got hurt. Yeah, Elfline's the one guy that – well, it's, it's the position, that right guard position, where, where him bouncing around, you just think, okay, if you've if you got to switch him out, hopefully it's not that big of a deal. It looked like a big deal, and maybe it would have looked that bad with Pat in there on Sunday in Indianapolis. Um, I kind of try to – the way I think about the offensive line, I kind of try to talk myself into, well, it's two games, bad matchups. But then you look forward, and the matchups don't necessarily get much easier. I mean, Jadavion okay. Clowney coming to town, um, I, they, they move him around so much in Tennessee, and Houston did this as well. Um, they're going to put him where they want to put him against the weak link in the Vikings offensive line. And it's going to look like it looked when DeForest Buckner kind of chucked Drew Samia into the sideline almost from the (laughs) middle of the field. And you feel bad for Drew's first NFL start. He's going to struggle. He's going to have those technique issues. And then he's just not built, you know, power wise to handle a guy like DeForest Buckner. And then those are the results. And so when you single him up and shock him like the Vikings did, that's what's going to happen. And Kirk Cousins is going to get drilled as he's throwing a pass to Dalvin Cook for two yards. Um, I, I don't know. That's J.J. Watt. Yeah, yeah, and then J.J. Watt after that, and then the Seahawks have been a pretty solid group up front overall. So I don't know, Ben. I, I, don't, I don't see this O-line getting any better this year. Um, Dakota Dozier's been, in my opinion, at least surprisingly serviceable compared to what we saw last year. Yeah. Garrett Bradbury, when I went back and looked at this past Sunday game, you've got to be really disappointed in what he's been not giving you in the running game because a lot of these runs that they're trying to get going with Dalvin Cook, they're blowing up because the center is giving up the direct, the, the quickest route to the yeah. ball carrier and it just hasn't been good. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the, – the approach certainly has changed in terms of the way they've approached it in the draft. I mean, we all use that stat forever about how the only players they had taken in the first two rounds of the draft under Rick Spielman were Phil Lodeholt and Matt Khalil. And that stat had to be retired when they took Brian O'Neill in 2018. But 
it they they certainly haven't fixed the the left tackle problem long term, and they've invested in it with Riley Reef, but they they haven't had the top five, top ten pick. Partially because they haven't been picking there, and they also haven't made the big move up to get that guy. And and the counter to that is, well, the last time we tried to do it, we took Mac Leal fourth overall, and he should still be here if that pick had worked. He would still be the left tackle. So that pick didn't work, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But you could you could say that's not a guarantee that it's all going to get fixed. They that said, they have tried to invest in that spot more so than they were. Whether it's O'Neill, Bradbury, Ezra Cleveland, O'Neill, I think we know is is a fixture. He's he's proven himself. The other ones, yeah, the, the jury is still out. So I don't know that you expect it's going to get better immediately. And you know, we talked a lot about certainly with previous guys about having that off season going into year two. Garrett Bradbury didn't really get it. So that probably slows some of this curve down a little bit as well. Yeah. All that time in the weight room they could have used. I mean, this hurts, especially a rookie like Ezra Cleveland, but also Bradbury who first full off season, not going through all the combine draft crap and then actually being able to prepare for a football, not running a 40 or doing whatever you need to do for the combine. (laughs) Offensive lineman running a 40. Yeah, or like, the you know, some guys just train for the bench press when in reality you're not going to be maxing out during a season on bench because that's no, not, there's no not. point. there's no point to it, and you don't want to strain yourself that way. Um, and you're not going to be singled up against Limbaugh Joseph that much either, or a guy yeah, of that size. And Garrett Bradbury didn't get that time in the weight room, and you could just see it on the field. He still looks like he's just undersized and underpowered against yeah. some of these guys, and you're going to take that when you take a, an athletic center as they build him, but – um, you hope that as he kind of grows, he's able to kind of stalemate some guys, and he's still not even doing that right now as, yeah. as often as you want him to. Would it be wrong of me to point out at this point that the last time they leaned so heavily on a young player, it was probably 2011, and it was the similar offseason where they had the lockout and they couldn't do anything, and they went 3-13? and 13. I don't think it's a bad point at all. I mean, Kyle Rudolph yeah. has pointed that out, that that, that year – not having an offseason hurt their young players. And I had that conversation with this, this offseason. He was trying to say, this will help us because we have a lot of stability on offense. But, yeah, I think young players are hurt by that. I, I don't know if 3-13 and 13 is where we're headed. I mean, I guess no. that's probably the point you're making. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if they're the hitting 3 13 certainly is a factor. It's a bad time to be young. And it is. Younger, they, they're younger than they've been in a while. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> They have. Um, well, we'll see if the offense can get turned around. We'll see if they can stop Derrick Henry on Sunday. We will be there at U.S. Bank Stadium to bring you it all. So thanks for checking out the uh, Facebook Live video and the Access Vikings podcast. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>